Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, another field trip time, y'all. You're so excited. Right now, we are on the porch, the back porch of the, the kitchen porch. Why should we not say that? <laughs> of the John Johnson home, the John Johnson farm. Uh, you, we've talked a couple, about a couple revelations that have happened here. Particularly, most recently, we talked about Section 76 and the windows. You remember we were talking about? They're the upstairs windows that they were looking through and they saw that great vision. This is where... Um, kind of the Doctrine and Covenants was born, where they had the idea to print the whole book in the first place. So this is like, we're having a birthday party for the whole book here, <laughs> is what's happening. They came Did here. Did you bring cake? You should have. Yeah, it's right over there. Okay. Um, Greg, stop eating my cake. Um, we, uh, they came here away from Kirtland, which was about a 45-minute drive, um, because they wanted to have a little bit more peace when they worked on the Joseph Smith translation. So... Sydney lived in the old Johnson log house where they used to live before they built this big, really pretty house. Um, and they lived right close to each other and they would work on the Joseph Smith translation upstairs. And it's way far out of town. Just like, oh, let's get away. Let's find some peace because of all the burden of everything um, that they were being asked to do. Uh, speaking of that burden, that's kind of where we jump into our, our lesson here in section 81. We're doing 81 through 83. And 81's one of the, the first sections about organizing uh, the first presidency of giving Joseph some counselors. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting because it starts off in verse 2. Um, well, it's talking to Frederick Williams, you know, Frederick G. Williams, who's going to become one of his, his counselors. You'll read in the heading that he actually called another counselor first, Jesse Gauss. But um, he kind of disappeared from history. Mm -hmm. um, never got set apart or sustained as that. Just And the Lord called somebody else, um, Frederick G. Williams, which we're so happy about. Um, he's the one, I can't remember if we told the story or not, but when those, remember the five missionaries, the four in the Lord, when they came through Ohio? Um, when he heard the gospel preached, he was like, well, then I want to come on your mission. So he got baptized and it actually became a group of six because he went <laughs> right awesome. away and then got to meet Joseph when he, when he got back. But you learn in verse 2, unto whom I've given the keys of the kingdom, talking about Joseph, right? A new kingdom is here on the earth. And Joseph, you've got the keys of that to multiply, to, to strengthen it, to help that to grow. And can you imagine the burden of having that responsibility of those keys of the kingdom of God for the whole earth. And so what a relief for this section to come and, and for the Lord to say, now I'm giving you two counselors who are going to help and assist and help carry that burden with you. So that's what we're, that's kind of what this, this section is. And so the Lord is talking to these counselors, Frederick G. Williams and uh, Sidney Rigdon, and he's going to talk to them about what it means to be a counselor uh, to the prophet. Well, these are some of uh, just good verses. They're good verses for everyone, um, but they do make you think about the counselors. 
in the first presidency and those men and how good they are. Um, this is what it says in verse 4. In doing these things, thou wilt do the greatest good unto thy fellow beings and will promote the glory of him who is your Lord. Wherefore, be faithful. Stand in the office with which I have appointed you. Succor the weak. Lift up the hands which hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. And we just love, um, as we look at this, um, and we think about what is the greatest good that they could do and then where that's going to move forward into the lessons that we learn. Um, the greatest good we find in verse, is that in verse 3 and 4? Um, so in 3 it says, um, I acknowledge him, I will bless him, and if he is faithful in counsel and in the office which I have appointed unto him in prayer always vocally and in thy heart, in public and in private, and also in thy ministry in proclaiming the gospel in the land of the living and among thy brethren. And we just love um, those three things that he says. This will be how you will do the greatest good. It will be as you counsel, as you pray, and in your ministry, as you minister. And to think about um, that responsibility, but then to take those three things and go into that next verse that we love, verse 5, um, what will that look like? And you'll see on your journal there's blanks that you can fill in as you go down. But he just says to him, be faithful, stand in the office, succor the weak, lift up the hands which hang down, and strengthen the feeble knees. I just I love that scripture and the thought of the caretaking that these men are meant to be doing, especially as we start thinking about what is going to happen in Joseph's life. Um, because they are going to enter into this period of persecution, not just from without the church, but also within the church. And this home um, speaks of those stories. Um, you know, if you just think about the stories this house could tell of the things that happened right here and how much Joseph would be in need of friends who would stand by him and who would lift and succor and strengthen that's um, one of the lessons we learned from this house, one of the things Joseph would need most. Yeah, and, and that, those words, what a powerful description of what the work of the kingdom actually is. They hold the keys of the kingdom, and you're like, it, it's not about organizations. It's not about like expanding into new places. It's all about strengthening individuals, lifting them up, and, and being faithful in the work of hearts. Like that is what it's actually about. In fact, we love that Joseph once said about Frederick G. Williams, he's not a man of many words, but is ever winning. And that's because of how he was so often focused on people. Right now, we're going to go to the, the front um, part of this house because we want to talk a little bit more about like what Emily was saying, the why Joseph would need such great friends uh, in, in a time like this. We wanted to bring you to this spot right in the, off the front porch of the Johnson home to kind of just talk about um, and let you see the spot where one of the, the saddest and yet one of the most uh, noble things happen, I think, in the, in the life of Joseph Smith and in their history. It's a Saturday night, March 24th. Um, they have those 11-month twins, John and Julia Murdoch. Do you remember when she lost her twins? At the Morley uh, Farm. At the Morley Farm. And um, Julia Murdoch had died in childbirth, and they're raising these twins. They've been uh, sick with the measles. So Joseph and Emma have been going back and forth all night long, taking turns. And Emma is having her turn, and she's nursing 
one of the twins, and Joseph is just dozing off when a, a mob breaks through this front door and grabs Joseph. He's actually woken up by Emma screaming um, murder, like literally screaming the word murder, probably to wake up other people in the house. And Joseph says, they had me by the hair and by the pants and by the arms trying to pull him out. There was a man who was there, there his name was Warren Waste, and he says he was a self-proclaimed strongest person in this area. Um, and he said, he is the hardest person I've ever had to hold on to. And they threatened him and said, we'll kill you if you don't stop moving, which is why he kind of stops and they um, pull him out of here. He actually kicks Warren right off of the, the staircase. Um, and it makes him so mad that he gets up and, and he chokes him until he goes unconscious. And they drag him about 30 yards uh, that way. And uh, when he wakes back up, he actually sees the body of Sidney Rigdon, just bloody and lifeless, laying out there in, uh, in the fields. And he realizes at that point probably what they're going to do to him. And he asks them for mercy. Will you give me mercy? And one of them says, you had better call upon your God for mercy because we have none for you. And uh, they, they pull together a council of deciding what they're going to do with him. They strip him naked. Um, they scratch down his body. Uh, and then they bring a, a bucket of, of tar over that has kind of just um, acid in it. And, and they shove first the tar paddle down his throat and fill his mouth and throat with the tar and just cover his, his body. He's in and out of uh, consciousness. There's actually several times later in Nauvoo when he says at one point um, he dies and sees like the scene happening uh, but comes back in, into his body. Uh, he, uh, um, they try to shove poison down his mouth. It chips one of his teeth. He'll actually talk with um, a little bit of a whistle for the rest of his life and have a, a limp because of everything that, that happens here. But they just leave him tarred and feathered and, and broken out in the field. And when he wakes up, he gets the tar out of his mouth enough to be able to breathe. And he actually sees the light of a lantern um, that he found out later was Father Johnson's lantern. They, everybody was out looking for, for where he was in the fields. Um, and he starts to crawl toward it. Emma, by this point, has come down off the porch and she sees him and thinks that the tar is blood and she faints and just the character of this man he comes over to her and starts yelling at everybody to help and it's uh, when he yells at everybody to help they realize oh it's <laughs> you and he, he's put a blanket on and they take him in here and they spend the whole night with a, a knife scraping that tar off of him and, and it, he says it's not until morning that he can you know put his clothes back on but um, it'll be about six days later that um, one of the twins John will actually uh, die um, because of the exposure of that night air just a cold March night from already being sick and 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 will die because of you know everything that happens here it just is um, horrifying to think of, of something like that happening. The newspaper, um, either the next day or that next Monday, actually praised the act of what happened hmm. and then said this, 
It was a base transaction, an unlawful act, a work of darkness, a diabolical trick. But bad as it was, it proves that Satan has more power than the pretended prophets of Mormonism. Uh, what that newspaper did not report was the very next morning was a Sunday morning and they used to gather in this field here with a little bowery for, for shade. And from the same steps that Joseph was dragged off of to the same group of people, because in that crowd were some who'd been in the mob the night before, uh, he preached a sermon from these steps and it was a sermon on forgiveness, which is, uh, to me, that is, that's the evidence that newspapers wrong, right? Satan does not have more power because somehow he found the grace of Christ in a situation like that to forgive, uh, to teach mercy. Um, and, and you can see uh, light and life breaking through um, that dark Saturday night. Um, the next section that we look at, section 82, happens in Missouri. And uh, that's because there is so much trouble happening in Missouri that soon after this event, he goes out there because uh, there are like friendships that need to be reconciled. And just like, like people are mad at each other. And he's like, I gotta go to Missouri to make sure that everyone is, I mean, you see scenes like that and you're just like, wait a second, wait a second. No, the devil has not one. Uh, because there is still mercy and forgiveness and friendship and, and love in the middle of all of this. And you love how 82 starts out. If you just go to 82 verse 1, it says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, my servants, that inasmuch as you have forgiven one another your trespasses, even so I, the Lord, forgive you. Um, and you just wonder if this is a lesson that is still so fresh in Joseph's mind from what just happened and that topic um, is just still so close to his heart there. Um, I love also that, remember we've talked about before, forgiveness is so important to Joseph. It's what he's constantly asking for from the Lord and um, the thought that he has come to learn that if he can learn how to forgive those who have wronged him, it makes it easier for the Lord to forgive him. And I just love him learning that lesson and then teaching that lesson. Yeah, I was just reading earlier today um, that he writes this letter to Emma on this Missouri trip. And he, um, what does he say to her? He says, oh, I have found this little grove out back behind this house that he's staying at. And he says, I go out there where I'm not under the eyes of any mortals. And I, I kneel down and I pray uh, for forgiveness. And I shed tears for my sorrow for allowing the adversary of, the, of my soul to have so much power over me. But then he says, but God is merciful and has forgiven my sins. And I rejoice that he sends forth the comforter to all those who believe and humble themselves before him. I mean, really, it just, yeah, it's just on that yeah, same trip, he's just. And he's just thinking about that all the time. And I love that that's how he starts. And I love also that he, he can ask that of them because he's practicing it himself. Um, the third verse in here is also a lesson that I think is, um, is coming to him now that he's really thinking through. In verse 3, this is a verse you've probably heard before. It says, for of, him unto much, for of him unto whom much is given, much is required. 
And um, Joseph's been in this long enough now to probably start realizing what that looks like. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. And as he thinks about that, this is one of my favorite verses in the Doctrine and Covenants. Many, many years ago, um, when Josh was three years old, he was diagnosed with diabetes. Many of you have heard me talk about that before. And um, that was a really hard time and a hard diagnosis, especially when the child is three, because it's just a diagnosis they don't understand. And we um, brought Josh home from the hospital and brought home everything that we would use to keep him alive. We brought home everything we'd use to poke his finger with three or five times a day, depending on what was going on, um, to make him bleed and test his blood sugar. We brought home the shots that we would give him um, every single time he wanted to eat something. We came home with all of the notes and the everything that they had told us, what to do if he has a seizure, what to do if he goes low, what to do if he goes high. We had come home with just all of this information um, we stayed at the hospital for five days and I felt like we had taken a semester of the hardest college class I'd ever taken by the time we walked back in the door of everything that we would need to know for him. And um, you know when you bring home a newborn and you're like, do we even know what to do? That is how it felt bringing Josh back home after that. Um, I can remember going to church right after that happened and the stake president came and they were splitting several wards. Ours was one of them. And so they just released everybody from the calling that they had. And I can remember him standing up at the pulpit and saying, there's going to be so much change and there's so many new callings and we need people to say yes to whatever we ask you for and um, in order to help move this work along. And then he gave a promise. He said, if you will accept the calling that you are given, I promise that the trials in your home will decrease by 90%. And I can remember thinking, oh, we need that blessing right now. We need to fill that in our home. And I can remember praying to the Lord on the back bench of the chapel and saying, I will do any calling you ask me to. Give me anything if it will make this burden easier. In fact, I said to him, I will be the organ player in the new ward. Um, and that is my least favorite calling in the whole church because I know how to play the piano, but those of you who are piano players know that doesn't necessarily mean you know how to play the organ. And I've had that calling before and I'm not good at it. And I can remember telling him, I will do it. I will be the organ player in the new ward. Well, about three days later, um, I received a call from my bishop to come sit down and meet with him. Greg and I did and we went over to the church and I knew I was going to be the organ player. I just knew I was. And we walked in and the bishop called me to be the young women's president of our ward, of this new little ward. And um, we went home from, and I said yes, and we went home from there and um, people in my family said to me, why would your bishop give you that calling when you have so much on your plate right now? Um, your burdens are so heavy right now and you are so needed at home and with Josh. Why would your bishop give you that calling right now? And I can remember thinking to myself, remember what I would said, I will do anything if it means the burden will be lightened. And I was talking to a good, good friend of mine that next week as I was praying about counselors and, and what I wanted to do going forward and how this was all going to work. And um, 
my friend said to me, um, you remember that scripture in section 82.3, and maybe you need to think of it this way. I had explained everything that was going on with Josh and all the burden of that and everything that was going on. And he said to me, uh, should you think about this unto whom much is required, much is given. And maybe this is a calling that's going to require a lot of you right now because you need to be given so much in the situation that you're in. And that proved to be true over the course of that calling. It was a sweet, sweet time for our family, but a time of a lot of health challenges, major health challenges. And a lot of times I look back at those young women's nights and those Sundays with those girls, and I think one of the things that healed me through that time was that calling and a bishop who was so inspired to extend it to me. You know, there's several times in, in our lives and that we see like in the life of these people who lived back then where these verses seem to like describe our world. In fact, look at these verses that are Joseph's world, verse 5 and 6. Therefore, what I say unto one, I say unto all, watch for the adversary spreadeth his dominions and darkness reigneth and the anger of God is kindled against the inhabitants of the earth. And some days you just want to say, and none doeth good and all have gone out of their way. There are times when like life circumstances make it seem like the devil reigns and rules uh, in this place. But this section is so powerful to say, almost like the Lord is saying in response to that, uh, yeah, but I know how to fix this. And throughout the rest of this section, he shows like, let me show you um, what I'm going to do about things like that. And everything that he's going to advise here and promise here, he says, is all for your good. In fact, if you start in verse 9, he says, I give unto you directions so that you know how to act before me, that it may turn to you for your salvation. Like that's his, that's his intent. Um, and keep looking at, at some of these phrases. We'll go through some of them right here with well, you. And you love that he says right there in 10, I the Lord am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have new, no promise. And I love the thought that he is bound in that situation when we do what he says. I also love as you just go through 14 through 16 and it's kind of what you were just mentioning that he talks about just rising up into that situation that you've been called to and it's in the rising up that that beauty is gonna come into your life and that um, we bind ourselves by this covenant. And then I love in verse 16 when he says, behold, here is wisdom also in me for your good. And I just love the thought of that, that he is constantly looking down, even in the things that are hard, even in the things that aren't going right. And not only is he, is he willing to bind himself to us in those situations, but he's also looking out for our good in that situation. And one of the ways that he does that, he says in 19, he says, every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. That one of the ways he responds uh, to the dark that reigns in the world is by sending out someone like Father Johnson with a lantern. That people are looking out for each other as a, as a pushback against that kingdom of darkness that seems to rule and reign. It's so interesting because he, um, as Joseph is finishing up this, 
And he's talking to the people who are struggling with that there, with just relationships there. And, and surely on his mind is the struggle that happened here and what he's going to come back home to and have to face and that continuing persecution. And the Lord teaches a really important lesson here. And I love as, as he's finishing up this sermon and this lesson, this is what he says. Um, he says, make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness and they will not destroy you. Leave judgment alone with me for it is mine and I will repay. Peace be with you. My blessings continue with you for even yet the kingdom is yours and shall be forever if you fall not from your steadfastness. And we love that he says this, let me be in charge of judgment. Let that be my job. I will be in charge of the judgment here and you be in charge of receiving the blessings in this place. And I think that is so sweet that it's almost like he says, let me take the burden from you of this weight and this worry about what is coming from the hatred and the persecution. I'll be in charge of that judgment and you be in charge of receiving the blessings along the way because even in the hardest times, there are blessings along the way and, and we can trust that even where much is required, much will be given in that situation. That night of Saturday night, March 24th, 1832, it seemed like darkness really was reigning and that the devil was prince and God of this world. But the morning of March 25th proved otherwise, that there is a different kingdom growing and, and filling this world. And it's a kingdom of forgiveness and mercy and, and truth and light. And, and it's so powerful to see just that, that one little bit of light starts to dispel that, the darkness of, of that other kingdom. It's just a beautiful principle. Uh, we'd like you to think about that as you, as you listen to this song about um, light from our friend uh, Jason Deere. And then after that song, we will see you next week. Well, I've heard the people talking In the fields and in the stores They say a man is claiming visions And they don't want him around here no more Questions in my heart I walked home late last night In front of his old farmhouse Something caught my eye I saw a candle burning brightly in his window late last night And in my heart it gripped me tightly And something said, son, what he's doing's right I saw a candle burning bright Well, a vigil got together 
and they kicked in his front door. And as I drug him on to the back porch, I wonder what all this was for. And I watched him wrench in pain as the tar burned in his flesh. While a preacher held a candle Dripping wax upon his chest I saw a candle burning brightly Deep in his eyes late last night And in my heart it gripped me tightly Something said, son, what he's doing's right. I saw a candle burning bright. Well, this morning I was walking, leaves blowing down that old dirt road. Those feelings just kept stirring Deep within my soul And on my lips a silent whisper Lord, please tell me what is right And then the Spirit danced within me like a soft candlelight I saw a candle burning brightly Up in his window late last night And in my heart it gripped me tightly And something said, son, what is doing? I saw a candle burning bright And I saw a This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.